That's right, everybody. It, the comic book dungeon is back. So face front, true believers. Oh, we're back, and we've got some great episodes in store for you. So here's uh, here's the agenda. Here's what's going to go down. We have five previously unreleased episodes that we recorded before our unscheduled hiatus. Uh, they go back to June eighth of twenty eighteen to January fifth of twenty nineteen. We are going to be releasing those uh, starting now, today. This is the episode from 6-8-2018. That's why some of these references are a little bit out of date. That's why. But Monday is our official release date. We're going to keep to a strict schedule. So over the, uh, over the next several weeks, every other week, you're going to get one of these unreleased uh, episodes. And when we're finally through our backlog, which these episodes kick ass, by the way. They're all amazing adventure uh, except for the last one, which is a, a Marvel team-up featuring Killraven and Spider-Man. So once we get through those back issues... Yeah, that's right. I said Killraven and Spider-Man. Not a dream, not a fantasy, true believers. They actually met and fought Martians side-by-side uh, in this, uh, in this uh, Marvel team-up. So something to look forward to as I get these edited and released. But starting mid-October, we should get, be through our backlog... And mid-October, Comic Book Dungeon, long-term fans know what that means. We're going to be a, uh, doing another Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. So, if you guys have been missing us, if you've been chomping at the bit to get new episodes, and I know there are people out there who were, let us know, comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Let us hear your voice. Let yourself be heard, and enjoy the rest of the show. We're glad to be back. Glad to have this great episode for you. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm coming to you from deep underground from the Comic Book Dungeon. And my name is Cruz, and I'm coming to you from the surface in the Wolf Spider Arena. Of death and pain. Yes, we, we've we've got a... Okay, in all honesty, it's a kiddie pool, but in my mind, it's like the fucking Thunderdome. And when I find some suitable contestants, I will place them in there and make them battle to the fucking death. Oh, we're going to get letters. Oh, well. Oh, my dog has a kiddie pool, and she loves it immensely. Yeah, my dog has one, too. And yeah. so do my kids. It's the, it, you know it's 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 a communal kitty kitty pool for all of the cruise family. Awesome. So what uh so, what oh go ahead. I was just asking you what's been going on. Oh I uh I've been doing a lot of editing by the or within twenty four <laughs> hours of this episode the three hour extravaganza episode fifteen will be up where we take on. Uh, such hot button issues as McDonald's and Alex Jones and Wakandan email scam, uh, oh, scam right. email. But you guys already know this because it's been probably been up for a month by the time you're hearing this episode. Um, <laughs> I've been reading some uh, some comics, have some comics to talk about. Uh, I made my wife uh, we uh, we I made her watch Cobra Kai, which before we uh, got into that, she wanted to watch all three of the original movies. So we. Uh, over a couple weeks, watched all three movies and co- the entire first season of Cobra Kai. So uh, that's awesome. It's pretty badass. I highly recommend it. That is fucking awesome, dude. I guess I'll just charge on, and then we'll get into uh, the uh, cruise side of things. 
we just have some uh, comic book recommendations. I I've talked a little bit about the contemporary Punisher series right now, where Punisher has the War Machine armor, where I am not a fan of them drawing him to look like the guy from the TV show. But it was like every episode I read, or every issue I read, was better than the issue before. I have not liked. Uh, a Punisher series this much in several years. It's a good read if you've. I. It. It definitely feels like the uh, the writer, the writing team, the creative team used to have the same conversations I had when I was saying like middle school, like, what if the Punisher had the like Iron Man armor or the War Machine armor? What would that look like? And it would look what I imagined looked exactly like this: him just <laughs> flamethrowing people and ripping people apart. Or just flying them really fast into space and freezing them. Or just dropping them from a mile up. It's really good. If you like violent shit, I would highly recommend it. Um, I'm a few issues into the new Marvel Exiles series. And I'm probably the biggest Exiles fan ever. I have almost the entire run. I'm only missing like a few issues. where I've Every time I go to a con, that's usually what I look for is Exiles issues in the 50 cent bins or the quarter bins. So over years, I've collected almost of the original run, all like 100 issues. So it's not as good as the original series, but I'm hoping it builds to that. And for people who aren't familiar with the Exiles, it's a team of reality-hopping X-Men. And it's almost like they, they quantum leap into a new dimension and they have to fix something that's like gone wrong or fix a problem. So it's, it's kind of fun to see all these different... Marvel events, how they could have turned out, and now these like this team has to go in and, and like try to troubleshoot it. Um, Marvel has a new two-in-one comic featuring the uh, two remaining members of the Fantastic Four, and it's got the infamous Iron Man, Doctor Doom, and uh, I'm enjoying that. That's a pretty good read. Uh, a lot of good stuff out there right now. Outstanding. I guess I just want to throw one more thing out, and then I'll stop monopolizing, and we'll get into your... Uh, uh, nerd-related stuff as well. Uh, really excited last week, um, one of my favorite podcasts announced that they were returning. They hadn't put out a new episode in like 14 months. And the the creator, Norm Sherman's like, yep, quitting my job, going to do this full-time, and he's relaunching this summer. So if you like a podcast that, say, actually has really good audio and really good production values... The Drabblecast, they do flash fiction, and they do a lot of production with the stories. If you like weird stories and weird podcasts, I would check out the Drabblecast. And that's it. I think that's it for me. Okay. What's up with uh, you? For me, uh, let's see. Comic book-wise, uh, been pretty light. It's been really crazy. Uh, there's been a bout of like near-death illness out here, so... And the one thing you don't want to do is vomit all over your freaking comic books or your whatever digital reader you're using to read them if you go that route. Uh, so, no, not a lot of reading. Uh, we did take a quick, quick little vacation down to uh, San Diego area and hit Legoland. So there was comic book characters there. <laughs> uh, but speaking of... Uh, uh, characters that you would expect to see in a comic book uh, of the superhero archetype we saw Incredibles 2 which was actually good I don't know if it was worth the 14 year wait good (laughs) nothing ever is 
Um, but it was it was good. Uh, the only 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 real quibble I had with that movie was, ah, uh, fuck, whoever the fuck, whoever the hell it is that voices Elastigirl, you can tell she's aged and probably smoke about smoked about twenty too many packs of fucking menthols. And, and, and like her voice just sounded way older than her character was supposed to be. That was the only fucking gripe I had. I blame some of that on the elasticity of her vocal cords. Ha <laughs> ha! Touche, sir. Yeah, and, and fucking um, what's his name? Craig T. Nelson, coach, whatever. He fucking voiced Mister Incredible, and you could tell that fucker's getting old too. But Samuel L. Jackson was fucking on it. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, uh, I, I, I have, uh, I, I've dipped my toe into, uh, watching, uh, Hulu's new, uh, Marvel series, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, the pilot episode was interesting. I have really no, uh, background knowledge of the characters. So just from a purely storytelling perspective, it's, it's interesting. It does look like they're really aiming to kind of, uh, use that medium to explore some racial and classist kind of stuff while they're telling the story of the two characters. But, like I said, only watched a pilot. It was interesting. It was cool. They're still kind of building the backstory. So, wait and see. But, last but not least, I finally fucking finished Voyager, man. What did you think of, uh, what's the last episode, Endgame? Endgame is the last episode. Uh, you know what? Endgame was not really a huge surprise. Uh, the one that I actually kind of like, you know, got a little verklempt over was I think the episode right before Endgame, where where Neelix leaves the crew, and, and, and I was I was kind of really sad because you know what Neelix has been a, a, a bumbling guy throughout the whole seven years, but he was. You know, he was such a nice guy. He was a little overbearing sometimes, but I, I really liked his character, and I was really sad to see him leave. Uh, on my rewatch, I was very primed to get annoyed with him very quickly, and at least through most of season four, when I dropped off, I had not hit that point with Neelix. He's actually, it's fun to have, because he's, he was a really good, uh, he's almost like a, a stand-in for, for the audience, because he's an outsider to a lot of Starfleet, to you know, like protocols, to yeah, yeah. It's it was nice to have that outsider's view of the ship, and uh, yeah. I guess my question, because I I haven't seen that episode, but I know of it from like the novels. He does isn't there like a Talaxian like outpost or something that he goes to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's basically it was like a an outpost of Talaxians that were in this asteroid belt, and there was another uh, species that that was mining the asteroid belt, and it was kind of like a squatting kind of, you know, they were squatting inside the belt, and they, there was a dispute over it, and uh, Neelix kind of charged off on his own and kind of uh, helped the Talaxians defend themselves, you know, with, you know, a wink and a nod from Janeway, of course. Uh, That's her whole he, can- he, command style, isn't it? A wink and a nod. Uh, you know, I mean, over over the years, they do maintain that she she does try to play it by the rules, but 
when it suits she, her. But she also understands that, you know, she Starfleet's not there. You know, they are a small island of, of, of the ideals of the Federation in a very big, bad, dark place. So she does play fast and loose a lot more often than I've ever seen any other uh, featured captain in the Star Trek universe. I would say Kirk could give her a run for her money. Uh, you know what? I would say you're right. And, and I think Kirk definitely did not mind violating the Prime Directive. I think he, he almost did it with fucking glee because I, I don't think it was a thing back then. There are some episodes, it's, it's handled very inconsistently. Even in like the first season of The Next Jet, it took them a minute to get their sea legs with it, but I would say that, and I, I maybe I've taken this from, I think this is even word for word from some of the novels, where if Kirk violated the prime directive, the letter of the rule, he obeyed what he thought was the spirit of the rule. Which was shag as many green chicks as you could. I, I, just, I guess my issue with Janeway was not that she played fast and loose, because I mean, I agree, she had lofty ideals... And every captain is put into situations that are going to test them on that. And again, like you said, being 70,000 light years from Earth is going to create more of those. It was just how inconsistent she was, where in one episode she would you know, blow up the ship uh, instead of violating the rules. In a similar uh, situation months later, oh no, like we, I'm going to handle it totally differently. It just... There's so much with her where the I'm going to hide from the crew for months in this expanse. And I just I never thought she was a very good captain. And I thought that's what actually made Jakotay one of the best first officers we've seen because he had to constantly cover for her uh, crap and challenge her when she needed it. I, I, I will say yes. I, I don't think she was as mercurial as you you seem to believe uh, the the only only time she ever did like the whole like freaking dodging the crew thing was during that one episode when they needed her the where, most. Where, where yeah, where she she sequestered herself away, which I I thought was, I really thought that was written poorly. And I agree with you. A lot of what I hate about Janeway, it's not really deficits in her character. It's just that I thought that, especially towards the end, the show had to it behaved a certain way in, to get ratings, and so they took more and more dramatic license with stuff, and I think that all the characters suffered for it, but particularly Janeway. Yeah, I, I, Janeway definitely... That one, I really didn't care for that particular episode, and because I, I could never see her as being one to cower away from her own crew. Yes, it was very inconsistent with her character. Yeah. I, I will say Chicote written as... As someone that's always willing to to try and check her whenever he feels that she's stepping out of bounds, I they did nail that. They kept that uh, they kept that character trait really consistent. And uh, there's one episode where he where he's like freaking time where like the sh- the ship itself is fragmented into different time periods. Yeah, and. Uh, and he has to regain the trust of like pre freaking Delta Quadrant, you know, pre stranded in the Delta Quadrant Janeway, and, and you know, 
it, it has him putting her in check a couple of times and in, you know you know not putting her in check but checking her against what she wants to do for the sake of the temporal prime directive and all this other shit that that really shows how much how important his character is to the whole story of Voyager. But yeah, the last season, I, you know, I don't I wasn't disappointed. There was a lot of really good episodes in the last season. Uh I I do know once, yeah, you know, I feel like after season 5, season 4, season 5, uh, they really put a lot of freaking emphasis on the eye candy of the show, which was Torres and freaking Seven. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, more so on Seven because they got Torres knocked up. Yeah. But uh, I, I I liked towards the end where where she was trying where they were trying to build a relationship between Seven and Chicote that was pretty fucking cool. That's one thing with the books. I was sad that they abandoned that in the books. Um, Jacote winds up with uh, Janeway and Seven. Uh, she's actually she's with this really sarcastic kind of pain in the ass ship's counselor. And as a psychologist and therapist myself, I really dig that guy because <laughs> they've never done a really good job of betraying ship's counselors. And like Jacote hates him for like the first two years, like they know or a year that they know each other. And it's actually, he's just, he's really good at his job, but he's, especially when he's not being, like, in that role, he's such a cold fish asshole. And it's just, it's fun to see that sort of character, kind of, with uh, Seven. But I, nice. To bring this back, though, so... Yes, let's bring it back. They drink, they, so they drop Neelix <clears throat> off at this Talaxian um, outpost, but there's multiple times where they get sped away from their starting point. Um, which was a space of region of space that Neelix was familiar with because Talaxia was somewhere in that vicinity. So I mean, I, I yeah. get, there's at one point where Kess pushes them forward, isn't it? Like ten, like ten years closer to Earth. Yes. And then I, like I said, I, 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 I checked out on some of those later episodes, but I think there's a few more pushes. How did? Why would there be a Talaxian outpost? Somewhere like what, like 10, 15, 20 years? I, dude, I don't know, man. I was wondering that shit myself because, like, the people, the, the Talaxians there were like, oh, I remember Talaxia. It's like, okay, seriously, like, you're telling, you know, there, there was a six ship convoy that went on a 10 year fucking journey, and you still remember Talaxia? It, it's also the same problem with them finding the Equinox. Right. That, well, I know that they said we uh we took some shortcuts eh. along the way too, but come on. In 70 with 70 light years between your origin point to there, you you guys just happen to hit shortcuts that would intersect at the same time, same space. And for the first parts of your journey, nobody ever mentioned cuz especially look at those first couple seasons where we were picking up, like, something that looks like a log buoy from, like, Starfleet. Oh, we gotta check it out. No, it's a Kazon trap. None of the... It's assuming that they, they would have taken a similar course that Voyager did those first few years. Because that was, like, the quickest way home. Nobody else mentioned, like, what about the other ship that they, they came across? They're, the Equinox, I don't think, was particularly compelling. I haven't, I've never seen both episodes fully, but I just think it, it raises more questions than answers. 
Um, I'm trying to think. The Equinox. I don't know if they got sucked in before or after Voyager. And, and I believe it was. No, it was. It had to have been before because uh, Voyager. because yeah, they just, blew well, up the. Yeah, they blew up the freaking array. So, and the reason they were so far ahead of them was because they had developed this. Um, they had developed this way to boost their propulsion, but it involved siphoning the life force out of an alien species. Yeah, I remember like those aliens kind of screwing with them, and then Voyager because they thought they were associated. But what are the odds that they both would have found ways to shorten the time of the that seventy year journey back? And just happen to occupy the same space at the same time. Oh, who knows? It is astronomical. The odds. Oh well, I mean, given if you okay, if given, let's think about this logically. If they're both starting from the same point in space, and they're both going to end at the same point in space, it stands to reason that they would be traveling fairly alone fairly along the same path i no, i i I agree with that but we're talking about a path that say if you and me had the same starting point say we started out like like kill ravens trying to get to um no 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 we can't bring kill ravens navigation into this okay so say you and me we start in maine (laughs) and we're going to california that's you started at say a few weeks ahead of me, but at certain points, you're taking a car on a straight line that's making you go faster, and once or twice, like, I got jumped by a helicopter. There's, you know, thousands of miles. What are the odds of us, even though we're now no longer always traveling on foot, but where base speed is on foot, what are the odds that that occasional shortcut would end up us meeting at the same point? And now extrapolate that out, just orders of magnitude, because we're talking about 70,000 light years. It is, I mean, it is, the odds are trillions to one. Yeah, yeah. They are incredibly small. They are not impossible. No, same thing with uh, the size of the Delta Quadrant. Uh, The only non-human or non-Federation citizen they have is a Talaxian. So of the size of the Delta Quadrant... We're talking about what? Uh, by that point, it, they were ten light year or, or uh, a thousand light years or something from where their starting point. They just happen in a yeah. random direction, and they happen to find that one Talaxian outpost. That is insane. Yep. That is, it, I'm shitting blood here just thinking about how improbable <laughs> this is. Exactly, highly improbable. I will concede that. So, but yeah, it was, it, it wrapped up, it, it got all wrapped up nicely with the bow and I was, I was happy with well, it and I've taken a break from Netflix after that. They, uh, well, the books do, uh, some really cool stuff with, they, uh, they, they look at the technology that Janeway brings back and they incorporate that into the, uh, the books. Because I think she brings okay. back like what, like what's it called, like a transphasic torpedo. She brought back 
transphasic torpedoes and uh, an ablative hull armor projection system. Yeah, in multiple books, the transphasic torpedoes are brought up, and it's how Starfleet keeps them a secret, and it's this is our last resort weapon because their big fear is if they use it too much that the Borg are going to adapt to it. So they're used very sparingly. And right. there's a, a book from a few years ago, uh, is it Headlong Flight? It's where the Enterprise, it meets up with a, a version of the Enterprise D from like 20 years ago. It's like a year after like Picard is killed by the Borg and Riker took command. And so it's trippy for them to see that version of the Enterprise. It's trippy for Captain Riker to see this version. Like, oh, here's a future Enterprise with my mentor who's not dead. And, like, Tasha Yar's there. And it's super weird for everybody involved. And the Starfleet at that point is super afraid of the Borg. And Picard ends up breaking the spoilers. The uh, temporal prime direct. Even though it's not really time travel, it's time and dimensions. Um, and gives that version of the Enterprise the blueprints for the transphasic torpedo. Um, huh. Here's, I guess I'm just going to shovel this in, because I've put way too much time into this. You know in... Do it. Okay. I've spent years analyzing this, and so for anybody who's a Star Trek fan, <laughs> hit, definitely make sure you record and keep this on your phone, because this is, this is going to... This is going to change everything with Star Trek. The big question that we got from First Contact was when Picard uses takes the safeties off the holodeck, why was that able to kill the Borg, but the uh, what if that's if that was so effective against the Borg, why doesn't the Federation use bullets against the Borg? Have you, have you never thought of that? Because I cannot tell you how many no. debates I have had with my friends about why don't they just use, like, recoilless, futuristic rifles if we saw a Tommy gun just absolutely way waste to the fork. And if you Google that, bullets and start and, and board, you'll see like 50 threads where people are like, this is so stupid, we saw that they're effective, why don't they work? Okay, and the answer is they. it's the same reason that the phasers are only partially effective against the Borg. Okay. Why, what happens if you use a phaser one too many times against the Borg? They, they figure out the frequency and they throw up a shield. They figure out the frequency and they adapt. So when right. Picard used the uh, holographic bullets... They had, at that point, their shields, they were uh, modulated to protect against these different amplitudes of phaser fire. She, uh, force fields modulate, or, uh, appearing to look like bullets, they had not set their shields against. I'm willing to bet that a shield that has, that has to be inside a humanoid body, like the, you know, like the Borg, that's not going to be able to have as much power as a separate, like a shielding unit on a ship or a shuttlecraft, you probably have to make several uh, compromises. That's why several phasers and shots will go through, but once they, they adapt to it, they can't, uh, they can't have this blanket effect across all these different attacks. So I'm willing to bet that if you had, say, high-velocity rounds, you might be able to kill a few Borg with it 
but then they would change their shield configuration. Let's not worry about energy blast. We're going to now put all this like that energy into, say, deflecting kinetic blasts. So I think that's why they would adapt to it quickly. And unlike the phasers, you can't remodulate a bullet. A bullet's going to be a bullet. So you might get one right. or two kills, like Picard did, and nope, we're going to uh, uh, modulate against it. So maybe if you had, say, like a one guy with a machine gun, one guy with a phaser, one guy with a truck, and just kept changing out tactics like that, that might be effective. But I, that is my in-canon explanation of why bullets would not be an effective weapon against the board, despite what we saw in Star Trek First Contact. I've done the math on okay. this, but this is solid. This is, this is my Star Trek thesis that I spent a lot of years working <laughs> on. Fair enough. So there you go. So, so okay. I just want to say, just to tie that up, fans of the Comic Book Dungeon podcast, I am super proud of that theory. If you would like to add to it or tear it apart, comicbookdungeon at gmail.com, I would love to hear about it. Awesome. So that that pretty much wraps up uh, my like little what I've been up to uh, deal. Uh, that's about it. I am nerd related. Probably gonna go watch the uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom movie on in two days from now. Uh, me, the kids, and a, a buddy of mine are probably going to go watch it. I was trying to get to go watch a screening with the, in a 4D, but frankly, it's fucking way farther of a drive than I really want to make. Um, if you just gave your kids a squirt gun and some silly string, I'm sure they would help you make that 4D. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I, I, I've heard it's a really awesome experience if you have a movie that matches the technology, and when the, uh, when the first, uh, you know, Jurassic World, uh, or whatever the fuck it was called, uh, came out with Chris Pratt, <clears throat> it was reviewed by several people, several podcasts that I, I, I like, and they all walked away saying, look, the 4D, it is a gimmick. It is gimmicky as all fuck. But you need the right movie to make the most of the gimmick. And Jurassic World was the perfect movie to go watch in 4D. Yeah, I was hoping with the uh, with the sequel I'd get a chance to go do it. And I do have a chance, but fuck, all my kids want to go. And, dude, that's like fucking over 150 bucks just to go watch a movie, which... Sorry, no, I'll sneak out and do it by myself. Fuck the kids. Maybe later. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to uh, report back on uh, the new uh, Jurassic World movie. Yeah, I, I definitely will. Uh, the first one was okay. I, I didn't mind it too much. It was a fun, you know, romp around with, uh, you know, Jurassic Park stuff, which was, you know, I like. I, I enjoyed the Jurassic Park movies. Except for the third one. Actually, okay, fine. I enjoyed the books more. <laughs> I like the Jurassic Park book. The Lost World book was uh, I was a little bit indifferent to, but yeah, I'm a notorious Jurassic Park hater. Which shouldn't surprise people of the show, because I'm a notorious hater no. in general. You Exactly. You're a notorious derivative work hater. If it's not the original material, generally you fucking don't like oh, it. Oh, there's exceptions to that. 
Has anybody ever? I said yeah, I, just the one that jumps to mind is the Stephen uh, King book and movie Dreamcatcher. The movie was pretty terrible, and I'm like, wow. I bet that, or usually when a book or a movie like that is that terrible based off a book adaptation, when you go read the book, you're like, man, they really butchered this. There's a really great idea here. Man, I felt like such an asshole wasting that much time reading the book, because at least the movie was short, <laughs> and it had uh, Morgan Freeman as an enjoyable character. There was nothing enjoyable about that book. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was the movie, which may have been, say, like a punch to the face, but the book was a kick to the balls. Yeah, and and that's a problem. I I think with Stephen King especially, as far as I'm concerned, he has a real tough time with movie translations of his books. Yeah, I think actually the TV miniseries for it was probably I think was way better than the fucking movie. But, Holy um, shit, man! Yeah. I have that. That is a bold proclamation. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. I think they stuck way closer to the source material oh. with the TV miniseries. I I've always made fun of the the TV series a little bit. Just the I. I so you had fucking Tim Curry, I, okay? I do enjoy Tim Curry in that role, but it's just... I guess for me, the whole idea falls flat. Because what does what does Pennywise do? He can't, like, do anything to you. I'm going to stay underground and yell menacing things at you, Billy. I choose not to listen. Well, no, he, I'll he, be louder, He lures them in. He just lures them in, and he freaking, you know, feeds off of their... I don't know, mental energy and, you know, He lures them in like a spider? Like, yes. yeah, an, uh, an unaffected, or an, uh, just an effective spider that, as long as you hit him with your mom's earring in a slingshot, he's, again, completely powerless. Which, I haven't seen the movie, but, I mean, the... I don't know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Stephen King. When I love him, I love him. When I hate him, I hate him. And, yeah. Right, right. And, and there are several, I think, um, I'm trying to think of, of really bad, like, um, oh, what was the one that had, um, ah, oh, shit, the one with the writer that was held hostage? Oh, Misery. Uh, Misery. I, I think the movie adaptation of that was fucking great. Um, I have not read, I'm trying to think of other ones. The Stand was a poorly fucking done, uh. You know, TV miniseries compared to the book. Uh, it, as much as I like Idris Elba, and as fantastic of an actor as I think the man is, uh, for everything that he tried doing, and I, I liked him as Roland Deschain. Uh, fucking the the fucking Dark Tower movie was it was really disappointing for me. And I understand that it was meant to be like an alternate dimension version of the Dark Tower, but still, fuck you for doing that, guys. Fuck you for doing that. You should have made the original fucking story. Have you? Sour oh. point. Sour point. Because I love the fucking Dark Tower series. Have you ever seen the miniseries for the Tommyknockers? Not the Tommyknockers, the Langoliers. That's what I'm thinking of. 
The Langoliers. Okay, yeah. See, I was getting my. I was trying to think of them, and I got it all fucked up in my head. The Langoliers. I started watching the miniseries for and fell off really quick. Tommy Knockers was one of my favorite fucking Stephen King books, and I don't think they ever made a movie for. There was a TV miniseries. There was a TV miniseries. Okay, because I was trying to remember whether I fucking imagined that shit or not. It's, no? it's out there, but okay. it, I it, I defy... Bad. It's not as bad as other ones. I think The Langoliers is perhaps the worst adaptation of... I've never read the source material, like the short story for The Langoliers, but it's probably one of the dumbest films I have ever seen. It's got <laughs> Belky from Perfect Stranger as a, uh, as a, who yes. has a psychotic break as they're stuck out of time while the world is being eaten by giant digital Pac-Men. It is the mm-hmm. most ridiculous <laughs> thing I think I have ever seen. And oh, so yeah. if you in the audience haven't seen it, I defy you to watch that movie from start to finish. You'll be dumber for it. <laughs> it's one of the worst things I've so, ever yeah. seen. Yeah, I think there's a pretty shitty track record with I, Stephen King uh, adaptations. Sharknado 4 would be a better use of your time than The Lake of Leaders. And I say that... Not trying to be funny, but I am earnest in that in my belief that any Sharknado movie is a better better film. What about Megalodon? Absolutely. <laughs> I I would put the Adam Sandler movie uh-huh. where he fights video game characters. I haven't seen that entire movie, but I would probably put that on par maybe with the uh the Langoliers. I own that fucking movie. Okay. <sighs> Not by my choice. By my children's choice. Doesn't he fuck Hubert? No, no, no. Uh, Josh Gad fucks Hubert. Yeah, Kubert. but Hubert gets fucked. And, and yeah, yeah. Well, Hubert, Hubert, Hubert comes. There, there's a point where Hubert kind of um, can permanently stay in the real world, and he changes his body shape to uh, basically match like the woman in the red dress from the first Matrix. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. But if if Q, it's still it's Q-Bert. like if Q from Star Trek turns into a hot chick and uh, Riker has sex with that hot chick, he still had sex with Q. Which I'm not saying there's necessarily right. anything wrong with because Q is beyond say gender. But by appearing as a different thing, Q is still Q. So yeah, yeah they, and doesn't he have babies with Qbert? I think so. So maybe I'm just a bigot. But that's just that doesn't seem okay in my book, and some of that just I just Hubert really doesn't seem like he's all there. Fucking he just video game classes. It, to no, you. it seems it seems like there's issues of consent. You wouldn't you wouldn't say that if it was Lara Croft. No, I wouldn't say that with Laura Croft because <laughs> Laura Croft is presented as a reasoning uh, human level being. And I don't know if Kubert had that ability. It's it, we would need to have a trial to to determine. Uh, we would need some psychological testing to determine if Kubert can consent. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but it had uh, it had yeah it had Adam Sandler, uh, Josh Gad, uh, which this is the second week in a row that we've brought up Josh Gad because uh, there was the LeFou conversation with the Scooby Doo guys. And it had P. 
Peter Dinklage. Yeah, he's like the evil. Like he almost plays like the guy from the King of Kong, who's been disgraced now. Yes, yes, yes. He, he plays exactly like that guy. He's like uber douchebag. I, I have to confess, the only thing I know about this movie is I listen to we the We Hate Movies podcast, and I listen to their episode on it. That's really the only thing that I know of this film, and I'm basing... It is a steaming pile of shit. Okay? The only entertaining fact about it is, is there's fucking, like, old-school fucking video games running rampant and demolishing shit, and that's, like, the only fucking cool part about it. When these guys start taking, I, I, it, it is absolutely the most fucking preposterously useless fucking movie I've ever fucking watched in my entire with existence. With President okay? Kevin James, I have yeah. no. Yes, with President fucking Kevin fucking James. Okay, exactly. Yeah, fucking Adam Sandler's fucking schleppy BFF becomes the motherfucking president, and he's still schlepping around with his loser fucking buddies. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Fuck. Fuck. Ah! So anyways, yeah, and then my kids bought it, and they're like, oh, we really love this movie so much, Dad, we want to buy it. And then my, my wife and her fucking ignorance fucking buys the movie for them, and now I have to fucking listen to that shit fucking being played constantly in my fucking house. Because, yes, parenthood is watching the same movie 40 fucking gajillion times. Thank you very much. Rant over. Go I'm on. just sad that your, your parenthood watching the same movie over and over again has anything to do with Adam Sandler. Oh, fuck, you have no idea. He has not made a good movie since, like, the 90s. No, he hasn't. Um, we, um, let's see, uh, my wife had turned on this thing on Netflix, and I was like, oh, hey, that's Adam Sandler. And, um, oh, fuck, I forget, I think it was, like, Kevin Hart. It was a black comedian. I don't remember what his name was. I think it was Kevin Hart, though. Not to be a douchebag. But, um, yeah, it was, like, Adam Sandler and Kevin Hart. And I was like, oh, cool, they made this show. Awesome. And it was, like, a movie. And I was like, oh, this should be really fucking funny. No, it wasn't. It was, like, called The Week Of. And, like, Adam Sandler's this fucking schleppy-ass hotel manager that's too proud to admit that he's fucking broke and won't take the help from the fucking black fucking doctor guy. It's like, what the fuck? That's a movie. You know, you know what? I it was either Kevin Hart or Chris Rock. I cannot fucking remember for the life of me who it was. I'm a hotel manager, and I don't need your help. No, you know what? It was Chris Rock. It was oh, Chris Rock. You know why? Because Kevin Hart's relevant, and Chris Rock is no longer relevant right now. So, yeah, it would be like two not fucking relevant comedians. Adam Sandler, Did, did Adam Sandler do the, now I'm yelling, bippity-doo, or the boop-a-dip-a-doo, like, voice? Because that's... You know, no, you know, he didn't fall on any of his, like, his usual, like, stupid, annoying, this is me being funny fucking things. No fucking kick me in the goat balls or fuck me in the goat ass or, or fucking, yeah, the price is wrong, bitch. No, none of that shit. It was, it, no, it was like, okay, you know, like, when Jim Carrey, like, did the Truman Show and you were like, wow, he can actually be a serious actor? Yes. Adam Sandler tried that shit in this movie, and you were like, no, this motherfucker sucks. He's not even a convincing Adam Sandler anymore. 
exactly. No, no, you know, he was he wasn't even convincing of being himself. He was just like, "What the fuck is this shit?" Because I was like watching it, and it's about like, you know, his daughter's marrying this dude, and and like he's too proud to fucking you know accept that you know, hey, maybe having the fucking millionaire fucking you know, Dr. Daddy fucking pitch in would be okay, but no, he's just fucking, he's like, no, I got this, and he's too fucking proud, and I'm just like, this is way more fucking, like, emotional and dramatic subtext than I would expect out of an Adam Sandler movie, and it's not done in a way that I find remotely interesting. So he never at one point pulled out a guitar and, like, sang a song about, like, I was wrong, and now I'm right. Like, just, just, just impromptu, like the Hanukkah. Oh. No, and yeah, no, he didn't bust out a fucking, you know, thank God it's Hanukkah. So grab your Veronica and boink her in her Bonica. No, none of that shit. Oh, no, it, 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 dude. We watched it for half an hour, and I will never get that time back. And, uh, you know, as I was starting to nod off to sleep, my wife looked at me and she said, yeah, this kind of sucks. I'm going to bed. And I was like, that's a good idea. This must not have been his choice. He must have been, like, going to the set. When, like, they must have had people, like, watching him. Like, no, Mr. Sandler, there's no guitar in this scene. I need to play the guitar. <laughs> and no, no, no. You need to give me the guitar. And well, like how Trump has to, you know, there's some days where they, like, you know, here, uh, here's a speaking spell. We're gonna hold on to your phone. Um, you, <laughs> there, you. I just imagine watching Adam Sandler on the set is like that. They're like, okay, we did the real take. Now you can do your baby talk, Mister Sandler, and uh, maybe that will make it in the movie. Not really, but it keeps him happy. Uh, yeah, maybe it's like because he's he's done a, a couple of Netflix exclusive movies lately. Like, one of them was, like, a spoof on the Magnificent Seven that was, like, really shitty. Um, so so maybe he was contractually obligated to do one more. And they were like, well, we've got a pitch for you, buddy. You're going to play a semi-Jewish guy from Hoboken, New Jersey. Do you think he can manage that? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from around there. I know I can do it. If on somebody's first DUI... You made them watch every Adam Sandler movie from two thousand or two thousand two to the present. That person would never get a second DUI. They would. Just he might. He might. Well, actually, no, because he just tried to kill himself by drinking at this point. <laughs> I mean, I just I can't think of a worse punishment than to shotgun out a lot of these like more modern contemporary Adam Sandler movies. Well, yeah, I think if you restricted it to, like, you had to watch everything Adam Sandler's made from 2010 till present, then you'd really just hate yourself so badly you'd probably try to cut your fucking own heart out with a spork. He just needs to, uh, just to give it up. He needs to quietly fade away into complete irrelevance. Yeah. And maybe come out every once in a while for, like, a Hanukkah special. I'm wondering how much... And play that song. Do you wonder how much of the audience right now is wondering that same thing about us? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's been forty minutes, guys. Come the fuck on. Oh shit! Yeah. What? 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 We oh, look. You know what, dear listeners? There is a reason we are stalling. <laughs> it's because we uh, hate you. No, uh, I, I have uh, no. I, I just want to no, say like I have it. a bone to pick with the audience. We are getting some massive download numbers. 
But the we we do this uh, beg at the end of each episode for email that's not materializing. Yes. Call me, maybe. Say what now? I said, call me, maybe. Oh. So <laughs> we need we we, we we need to get uh, get this going. We need some reviews. We need reviews. We need some validation. Yeah. So this is what I'm going to do. I have two stories. I have good. the the time that Mark shit his pants, and awesome. the aftermath of Mark's proctology exam. These are notice the theme here. Yeah, these are two stories that most people agree when I tell them they laugh their asses off. These are highly embarrassing stories. So this is I'm willing to tell these stories on the air, but there's a caveat. I am holding them for ransom. So I will put in the show notes of when this episode airs the timeline that we're looking at, how long you have to to write in. But I want five emails. And in those emails, I want an actual email. This is what I'm reading. I'm answering a listener question from two months ago. Or why don't you guys talk about this comic? Or what's your opinion on X? Or this is how I got into comics. Whatever. I want an actual few sentences strung together in some sort of coherent narrative. And you get to vote for what story you want. And if we get five emails in the allotted time, I will tell you the story. If we get ten emails or in the allotted time, I will tell both stories on the air. So you get to... If we get twenty emails in the allotted time, I will shit myself on air. Wait a second. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. I'm not editing Fuck that it. out, so that's... <laughs> Let's do it. I don't know how I feel about this. We're going to have to process about uh, about the the shitting on air, but yeah, I uh, Hey dude, I got a waiting pool. I got a I got a fucking little kiddie pool right here. I could do it in the garage. Or All right, I'm already working a plan out. Or if you want an email telling us please don't e- or don't shit on the air, we will also take that as well, but if I my vote is for one not shitting on the air and two the Mark shitting his pants story. This is this is probably I would say this is the best story I have. You guys will not regret. The other one is pretty demeaning to me as well, but they're both good. So vote, send in your emails, comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail dot com, and I will uh, I will tell these stories on the air, and I will do it with great flair. And uh, there's especially that shit story has a lot of components to it. It. Uh, it's got an interesting composition. No, it's it's got it's got characters in the story. It's got a lot of other people. It's got physical activity. It's got uh, me victimizing Shit. other people. It's got a lot of components. And it's got some shit in it too. It's. Ga- I'm glad to see we're getting back on task with maintain, maintaining the fecal talk. Uh, I would just like to give a shout out to Mark's mom. Hey, we're talking about poop again. Yeah, sorry. She'll hear this in a few months. Yeah, I know. Sorry to disappoint you. So we're back on poop. So yeah, you guys, you guys want to hear these stories? So five emails, at least five emails for one story, and whichever one gets the most votes, I'll tell. But if we get ten emails, I will tell both stories. So don't, because I am not going to cave on this. Or if we get five emails the week after the contest is done, I'm not telling the story. This, there's a very real possibility that these stories will never be told on air. This is your one chance to 
listen to me debase myself. So if you don't, right. if you don't want to risk this, have your friends write in. Have other people write in. Don't write multiple emails yourself, though, because that makes you a dishonest asshole. But make this happen. Make it happen, okay? We will. I will. I will follow up, and I will complete what I said I would do if we get to twenty. <laughs> Please no. No cameras, though. <laughs> I would hope not. I will make sure. I will make sure I hold the mic suitably well, so if there is a plopping noise, you can hear. Who it. are you, Stevo? We don't need that. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, while we're on the topic of fucking shit splatter things. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Uh, how about we talk about this, uh, this uh, issue of freaking Amazing Adventures? Okay, I, uh, I'm excited about this because I have a lot of mean things to say about this one. Except for the cover. Except for the cover. You know, I am a, exactly like mine uh, as far as, uh, well, I'm not excited about it. Uh, I am I am eagerly anticipating freaking wading through and just fucking venting all sorts of vitriol uh, about this fucking issue, except for the cover. This fucking cover is good. I only have one gripe with the cover, but you go first. Well, this is uh, Amazing Adventures, issue 25. This is the November 1975 issue. This has a cover price of 25 cents. I thought this was issue 33. What did I say? I'm sorry, this is issue 33 with a cover price of 25 cents. So, that was a typo in my notes. I apologize. Fuck, man. Let's let's roll back the clock a little bit, man. I wish all my comics were 25 cents instead of 4 bucks. Yeah, and this has three times the pages of your modern $4 comic. Yeah, true. True. Yep, so Amazing Adventures, featuring Killraven, Warrior of the Worlds, uh, I like the transparent banner. You know, we, we, we've both established that we really dig that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this uh, this cover is uh, the Siren Song of Death. It's looking very action-packed. Yeah, this is a John Ramada Sr. cover, and you can definitely tell it's a Romita cover because of just how awesome-looking it is. It, this is... We have uh, Kill Raven in a very action-y pose. He is being dragged down into a body of water by a Martian. Now, is this a Martian? I... Or is this a Martian creature? That is a great question. I took this to mean that this is a Martian, as is just just from the dialogue here on the cover, where Kill Raven, he says, They offered me as a sacrifice to an insane Martian, but this meal will be my last. And I have reasons to believe that this is a full-blown Martian when we get to this part of the story inside. But yeah, this is just... Sometimes the Martians are drawn kind of stupid-looking, like melted potatoes. But just how only yeah. part of its head is above the water, those eyes, just they look. it looks very sinister. And it's got two tentacles, one around uh, Killraven's waist, the other around his like calf. And it's pulling Killraven down into the water. And he's got like a sharpened stick that he's... Uh, He's going to try to defend himself against the this Martian with. Okay, yeah, I could, I could, yeah, I was wondering because I mean, normally when you look at the Martian so far, if it, you know, like like you said, rather shapeless, kind of semi melted Mister Potato Head looking guys, or uh, as we discussed way back when about the uh, Supreme Overlord, 
Yeah, they, there there is like a liquid form that's associated with a different cast of Martian. That's our theory, yeah. This, yeah, that's a theory. This guy here, he, he reminds me of the more run-of-the-mill Martian, except he's got better head structure and uh, a bit of a green pallor. He, he looks a little bit more like the, the first Martian we saw way back in issue 18. Right. And again, we this is... We, <clears throat> here and in the issue, we have a different... Um, our uh, art team. So that might explain why. Well, I know why they normally look a little bit stupid. It's because they put like when they worked their looked their absolute worst was the Kill Raven goes to Washington story arc, and it's because they were drawing yeah. so many per page. I it's normally when we only see one per page that they look pretty menacing. Right, and um, you know my one objection uh, with the cover. And it's not an art. It, it's not an artistic criticism. It's more of a a content criticism. Uh, one thing I think, and I think we're of like mind on this. One thing that has been really consistently good, or better than good, with uh, the Amazing Adventure series has been their monster design. You know, they've always had really unique monsters or you know really awesome looking costumes for the villains and, and even some kind of you know like uh, really cool character designs for for some of the heroes um, this and if it is if it is a Martian because I, I think I think you're right it is a Martian it still feels way too. Uh, derivative of what they've done before. Granted, yes, it is a new art team, but uh, they they do have the previous material to look at and say, oh yeah, maybe we could try something new and incorporates a little bit uh, of of some of the design choices that were made. This just feels like ah fuck it, let's make something with tentacles and make it the bad guy. Um, along with with your criticism, one thing that uh, kind of confused me, and you see, I saw this a little bit more in the issue. Is it, it seemed the scale of this Martian was off. It seems bigger than most Martians we've seen. Because, I mean, this one's the size of a car, like an SUV. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right there. Which, maybe he got fat off of uh, eating things that were given to him. I was wondering that myself. What I really like about the cover, and the, what it implies with the issue, is that the Martians on land never seemed super menacing to me. But if you think about it, a Martian that, why it's so awkward on land, it's because they're adapted to Mars gravity. You put them in the water where, I mean, that's how our astronauts train is because underwater it simulates weightlessness. And tentacles, tentacles are going to be way more effective for locomotion in the water, like we see with octa, with an octopus. It makes sense that this Martian would be absolutely deadly compared to a, a biped in the water. And that's where they yep. kind of seem a little bit goofy sometimes on land. I mean, this would be an unstoppable killing machine in the water. Right. Absolutely. Okay. All so, those good yeah. things out of the way, we can now go into this uh, uh, turd sandwich and take a big bite. Oh, we've got we've got like three or four pages before it gets really, really nasty. Well, I, I was a bit disappointed on this first page, and this is where some of that. But I tried not to to, to, to get to, to let it get to me because I I really wanted to like this issue. But uh, as soon as we turn this page, 
you can just the first thing I noted was Kill Raven. He looks like a caveman, like his expression, and I knew this was a different yeah. art team or a different creative team, which I'll get to. This is uh, Bill Mantlo, writer, Herb Trippy, artist, D. Bruce Berry, inker, K. Mantlo is the letterer, J. Cohen is the colorist, and Marv Wolfman, as always, is our esteemed editor. But yeah, I mean, these were some heavy hitters, Bill Mantlo and Herb Trippy. But uh, it just, I don't think it came together uh, this, uh, this month like no. it normally does. No, it's, it sadly didn't. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think the art suffered a little bit for it. Uh, Kill Raven does look like, you know, some sort of mongoloid fucking caveman. That brow is not doing him any favors, no. No, uh, Mishula's definitely changed a little bit since I last saw him. You know, Camilla still looks the same. Yeah, it's actually a really good Camilla. And Old Frost, mm-hmm. or not Old Frost, Old Skull, yeah, he, he looks very different. Yeah, it's his face. It's just everybody's face to me looks real. Yeah, their, their faces are definitely way off. Um, so yeah, I, I guess. I mean, did we cover that? This is sing out loudly. Death. No, we did not. Okay. Well, we just did. So yeah, uh, apparently, uh, Kill Raven and Company are uh, still on the road. It is spring now, or spring is coming into the yes. air. So, she, you know, the snow is thawing. They are somewhere in West Virginia, which, <laughs> if I remember right, okay, I swear I am going to fucking go do this. I am going to fucking make a map, and I'm going to trace all the previous issues and figure out where the fuck Kill Raven has been and try and put a timeline on it, By the t- I'm going to do this just because this has to be the most circuitous, fucking crazy-ass ass backwards route that has ever been fucking done. I'm sure by the time this episode airs, we'll do so, because the last episode we haven't aired yet, so we still have time to create the, uh... Kill Raven is a terrible navigator. Yeah, you you know what it looks like? You you know, like, you ever watch, like, the old Looney Tunes cartoons, and, like, Bugs fucking goes underground, and he starts digging for somewhere, and you have a little dotted line that goes all over the United States map and does fucking loop-de-loops and curlicues and fucking bangs into shit? That's what fucking Kill Raven's Path looks like. You're saying that because that's exactly what it would look like. Um, (laughs) Talking about shit being fucked up, I, uh, I have... It's like they hadn't read any previous issues of Kill Raven with this uh, with this opening page, because like you said, it's changing to spring, which is concerning them because now they're they they say that they're leaving tracks in the snow that they were hoping if there was a fresh snowfall would cover them, but now they're very concerned about leaving a trail that the Martians could follow. Since fucking when? I don't know, man. I Kill Raven. Know. Puts his name on something every issue, so the issue, like, the, fuck you, Martians, I was here. It's like a big, big middle finger. Now they're suddenly having, like, like root and noise discipline and shit. Who figured that? No, it, so. yeah, real weird. Really weird that every issue he's gone out of his way to leave a trail, but now he's like, man, we gotta police everything up. Right. Right, and I think some of this gets explained a little further on if you go to page two. I will go to page two. You know, basically, uh, what it boils down to is, a hey, Kilroy was looking for some shelter, 
and uh, he's, he's he's a little off his game. And uh, Camilla notices that, and as do Mashula, that you know Kill Raven's actually looking a little fucking tired. Yeah, you know, and that that comes across. They do make a point to mention uh, Hawk and Grok are bringing up the rear of their formation, but they're they're behind by a good mile or two. Yeah, I hope they have the uh, Serpent Stallion, and that's why he's not there. Uh, I would assume, yes, that's the case, but I don't recall seeing it later in the issue. Oh, um, we don't see it in this issue at all? Oh, one thing we, we don't see, I'm just going to flip back real quick. This is the first issue since they introduced the ti- like uh, the concept of having a timestamp and a location that they've been doing the last several issues. This is the first issue where we don't get that timestamp of, like, May, Wisconsin, or, you know, like, April, Chicago. They uh, didn't do that this issue. Right. They they just kind of said, hey, springtime in Detroit. Not Detroit, I'm sorry, in uh, West Virginia. West Virginia, yeah. So, yeah, it definitely, Camilla, she actually she uses the word weak to describe Kill Raven, that she would normally challenge his strategy of them uh, going up to this cave, and she just, she doesn't, and she wonders if it's because that he, uh, he's appear- he just appears weak. Right, and uh, while they're worrying about Kill Raven and uh, all that, he kind of pans out on the lower third of the page to uh, a bird singing in a tree, kind of signifying spring is coming. And as everyone's conversing, there is a green tentacle that just kind of goes feeling about. And as the bird starts happily singing its spring song that uh, the aforementioned tentacle just grabs it, crushes it, and eats it. Or I would assume eats it. I don't, I don't recall ever seeing a fucking mouth yeah. for this thing. I like we get a thwip on a monopia like Spider-Man's uh, webbing. But um, <clears throat> I have a bit of a problem with this that we will... Maybe it's me nitpicking, but we will get to this uh, in a few pages. Okay. So, next page... Uh, they, uh, our crew takes shelter in a cavern, and I can tell you, uh, as someone that has been to the Virginias recently, uh, yeah, the caverns are that fucking big. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was down in, I think it was Luray Caverns, and I think that's either right off the border in West Virginia or just in Virginia from, it's about an hour southwest of D.C., and yeah, dude, it was a serious, like, hour-long guided walk through a cavern that was built, that was a, uh, that, that had a hotel built on top of it and was, like, a major tourist attraction. I mean, this fucking place was huge, like, a good, solid half-hour walking through this thing. So, and, and, and while it was one of the larger caverns found in the area, it was not the only one. That uh, particular section of the uh, Appalachian Mountains, I believe that chain is, yeah, uh, is peppered with these kind of uh, limestone caves all over the place. So it's good to know that there's, unlike some of the more creative geography we've seen, that this seems pretty, uh, at least at this point, pretty uh, realistic. Yeah, fa- fairly legit. 
Uh, it's probably where the similarities to reality are going to uh, going to end. Right. Yeah. I know, now we're we're getting to this uh, third panel here where Kill Raven's having some of his what is that whatever clairvoyance thing he's got going on. Yeah. Pseudo sumo clairvoyance or whatever the fuck his, his special power is. You know, it, it clicks on and he's seeing something through someone else's eyes. It, uh, it looks like Camilla uh, sneak up on him with nefarious like intent. It looks like she's gonna kill him. Yeah, it looks like either <laughs> she's gonna choke him out from behind, or she's like trying to cast some sort of fucking witch's spell on him or <laughs> yes, something. It sure does. Um, just the back of a panel. Mashula is gone. He went outside to hunt. Old Skull is a bit concerned. And wants to know mm-hmm. if he should go out and uh, and look for him, but Kill Raven doesn't want to risk something happening to both of them, so he tells him to stay put. Yeah. Yes, and that. So yeah, he, oh, go ahead. Go on. Do you want to describe that uh, the this 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 panel here of what Kill Raven is seeing in his vision? Well, basically, all 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 it's displaying him seeing is. Uh, a bunch of hands banging on drums, uh, a baby on a sacrificial altar or being placed on a sacrificial altar. Nah, not a baby, more like a toddler, and a tentacle coming to grab the baby. Yes, or a toddler. And for me, this, it was this panel where I I started to suspect we might be in some trouble, but this was I tried to ignore it, but this was confirmed later issues. The people we see in this panel, they're definitely dressed as in stereotypical what you would think of, say, is a, a, like a tribe, like a tribe of indigenous people or, say, Africans. They're definitely have, or maybe even Aztecs. It's hard to tell at this point, but we'll get a better look later. But at this point, these are definitely, there's like a trot with the drums and the dress. There's definitely a tribal feel. Right, which uh, makes makes sense given how, how far humanity's fallen back out here. Um, so, yeah, the next panel has Mashula returning, triumphant from the hunt. Yeah, he's got a buck on his back. Yeah, chip off the old buck. Oh, and they, that's, that's better than the bacon joke that they, they, they make there. They, I brought back the bacon. I don't get the reference to bacon. Me either. And they both kind of laugh. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. we don't know what we're talking about. We wasted uh, some word balloons. Ha ha! Take that. Uh, that brings us to page six, where we have Old Skull. He's outside the cave and he's taking first watch, and he uh, is staring at the stars. Kill Raven joins him. He's kind of in a brooding mood. Kill Raven, and he points out Mars to Old Skull. He does it kind of like with an air of, you see that place? That's where those fuckers are from, and one day we're going to go back and ransack that shit. Yeah, but that's not enough to pull him out of his brooding mood, and we see him, uh, he goes back into the cave, and he ponders about the practicality of starlight and of firelight, and muses that now he sounds like Camilla, and that, uh, that she's the one who is always thinking about practicalities and that now she's infected both him and Mashula with his, her way of thinking. Right. And at this point, I, I'm just 
I was just laughing to kill Raven. Why don't you write this in your diary with your poetry, you angsty teenage girl? It's Kalina here. <laughs> so yeah, so he can't. He's not feeling particularly tired. He's feeling a little restless, uh, and and, and emotional. Uh, you know, with his his basically, I think this was his last hope of. Uh, uh, getting back to civilization in the condition he wanted to come back, which would be kind of sort of triumphant. That's, but, I was gonna say, that's the one thing that I don't think they... Well, not just the one thing. This is one of many things they don't do a very good job of. Is We don't really learn why he's in a funk. Right, is it, yeah. I, I think some of it's just that he's tired. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if some of it's the loss of Volcana. But, I mean, we last issue, he was... He was in a like a heavy metal holodeck. I mean, he and he was kicking ass, and he was just uh, full of spit and vinegar. And I mean, this issue—it's definitely like Hill Raven's been worn down by life. Yeah, he, he definitely seems exhausted, and uh, in his exhaustion, he decides he needs a little bit of me time. Uh, grabs a stick off of the uh, fire pit or, or, or fire, whatever that. Uh, oh fuck. It's just yeah, um, just the, the camp's fire. Yeah, yeah. He grabs a stick off the camp's fire while Old Skull's up front, standing watch, and he goes uh, to do a little spelunking. Yeah, which uh, takes us to page seven. This is where we learn that he is in uh, West Virginia, and he taught well, the narrator. Even though we have a different narrator, we have a different writer. It's still pretty wordy. We learn that tours mm-hmm. used to be taken in these caverns and tunnels. And while Killraven's brooding, he uses his Killraven sense, and he realizes that he's not alone. Like, he can hear movement and see shadows moving in the background. And I actually thought this was really brilliant. Killraven doesn't know how many people are uh, shadowing him, so there's a, like, natural rock bridge over the, this chasm... Kill Raven goes on the bridge, and at first I thought that was a really dumb idea, but if you think about it, that's really smart, because he found a natural choke point, so even if there's like ten guys, it's forcing them to come at him single file. That's smart. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that was a good catch, because I, I didn't notice that, but yeah, that's that's pretty, oh, pretty smart. Oh, I think I'm giving the writer way too much credit. I don't think the writer put that together, but when I, I looked at it, I'm like, hey, that's some good strategy. Doesn't work out for him, though. No, does not work out for him, though. So, yeah, so he crosses his little stone bridge, and let's see, he, uh, he, he, he thinks he hears some movement, and somehow a rock smashes into his forearm, and he loses grip on his torch, and it falls into the depths, and I can assume... Gets, uh, gets, uh, is, uh, is, uh, shit, is, damn it, my wife just texted me, fuck. Is your real estate, totally derailed my train is phone. your real estate office getting a phone call? <laughs> no, actually, that is the ringer from, uh, 24. Okay. Yes, yes, I like my, I like my, uh, telephones to sound like they're, uh, they're part of the uh, Central Terrorism Unit. I want or Counterterrorism Unit, the CTU. I want my wife to remind me of Keith or Sutherland. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, 
I think it's hilarious, this last panel. If you want Gilraven to drop the torch, the rock should be hitting his hand. It's funny, it like hits him like right on the forearm. It's just It hits him right on the bracer. <laughs> yes. It hit him in the one place that I don't think it would cause him to drop fucking the torch. <laughs> But, now I'm but just yeah, being, nonetheless, he drops it. Now I'm just being fuck? an asshole to the to the issue. But uh, right now things are starting to move into high gear into terrible town. So oh yeah, we're on page two, all aboard. And it's page ten. It was page ten or eleven where I texted you, and we'll get to that in a minute. So oh fuck. So the next couple panels, it's pitch dark. Because he's in a fucking cave, so Kill Raven's wandering around without a light. And so he sees this glow in the distance, and he realizes it's not star- uh, sunlight, because it should be dark outside. But he realizes it's like some sort of luminescence. So he walks towards it, and he comes out in this giant cavern where there's an underground lake. And across from the lake, he sees these uh, huts made of sticks and grass. And what happens next? Well, he gets jumped. Who jumps him? It, it is, he gets jumped by a large group of black men. Yes, and as they jump him, they say, Now, brothers, jump the honky, now! And it's not even that they call him a honky, that they're talking, you know, jive from the 70s. It's how they're dressed. Yeah. It's... Do you remember when Resident Evil 5 came out and there was a bit of a hubbub because of um, every every black individual in that game is basically dressed like these people? Yes. They're wearing loincloths. They have grass on their elbows and, and joints. One of them's wearing like a tiki sort of uh, tribal mask. Or not, I, say, I don't mean tiki, but like a tribal mask. That's what I meant to say. Um, you know, they... They've got earrings, they've got face paint. I mean, the only credit that I can give them, and maybe I missed it in some of these uh, pictures, is that there's no bones through the noses. That is the only credit that I can give this issue, is not going the full nine yards. Other than that, this is the most offensive, I think, just just just, just stereotypical way that you could draw, say, African tribesmen from Africa, and that's what we have here. Yeah. And uh, it reminds me of something you said in our more recently published episode. And I'll definitely I'll, I'll fall back on it at a later time because it, I think it's it's relevant throughout this part of the story. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's might as well just go to the next page, right? Yep, where we see um, we see more of these tribesmen. And you can correct me if I if I'm wrong, but. I don't think there's one of these guys that doesn't have a fro. No, this is a, this is part of your uniform as a warrior. Is you must have a fierce fucking fro, and you may not stash your fucking your hair pick inside of it. Okay, it's a legit fro. It's only supposed to be X tall and X long. All right, but you make sure it's shaped properly. Make sure you got those fucking bitching widow's peaks going on and shit. Yeah. All right, <laughs> man. We we have these guys jumping Kill Raven. We get another Holden Brothers. Teach Whitey his place. I love it. Teach Whitey his place. And, this is like fucking. This is not even nineteen seventy, man. This is like fucking throwing this shit back to like nineteen fifties. All right. Well, 
what I wrote in my notes, I think it's a little bit later, but it's yeah, it's you yeah, it it's it it's not how say it's not seventies jive. It's what a white writer would think seventies jive sounds like. That's what's how this is written. Oh yeah, I do like the caption on this first box. Honky, whitey, whatever those terms may mean is of no importance now. That just throughout this issue, the slurs that they use to refer to Killraven just leaves him baffled. Which I have to say was minorly amusing in a slapstick like wah wah sort of way, and not a Corey Luna. What is his name? Luizowski wah wah sort of way, but a because you're a monster, but kind of a lighthearted wah wah. Sort <laughs> exactly. Um. So yeah, kill. I, I do like Kill Raven here. You know, he's he's fighting back, but he's 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 like apologizing. He's doing. He's like, I don't want to harm you, Fred. But you know, he mm-hmm. is he is attacking back. Yeah, he's on the defensive, and he's trying to trying to jujitsu his way out of this. Um. This this low until this next panel. Yeah, the lower left. <laughs> yes, one. which is the best panel in the entire issue. What do you think of this, man? So, we get a caption that says, But as happens so often, and what happens is they need to incapacitate Killraven. So how do you think that happens, listeners? And if you're playing the Killraven drinking game at home, you're about to take a drink. Because, yep, you guessed it, Killraven gets hit from behind and knocked unconscious. And I love that they shined a lantern on it, because it happens nearly every issue. And there's some issues where it happens several times. He gets knocked the fuck out. And, uh, Down, Whitey. Down on your knees and lick the dirt. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so fucking bad in some spots. Oh, the dialogue is so horrible. It's it's really bad. Um, I think I, So I'm looking at my phone and I text you today. I'm like, have you read the KR issue yet? I'm reading it now. What the fuck? And then I turned a few pages for when I sent that, and we get actually into the village proper, and I'm like, man, it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> so I'm, I'm driving home as all these texts are coming in, and I look at them, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Because I hadn't downloaded the issue yet, but I was going to download it today. And I'm just sitting there wondering, what the fuck have I got in my Yeah, and today? I bet you, you did not... You, you would not have guessed that this is these racist caricatures of of, of, of um, African culture or whatnot, and of uh, say American black culture is what we would have mashed together in some Trump. Uh, I wouldn't want to say this is this is both a Trump supporter's dream or fantasy and nightmare combined, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, basically. That's what it is. It, we when Kill Raven's hit on the head, he he starts to flash back to some of his memories. He sees the High Overlord. He sees Volcana. He sees the Sacrificer. He sees a mucus glob that I think is supposed to be a Martian. Looks kind of yes. like a, a synapse or a dendrite. Um, <laughs> and then he's knocked unconscious. And I like it. Looks like they're poking him a little bit with their spears just to make sure he's. He's down, and yeah, well, he's tough. Uh, yeah, they and they want to take him to see the chief because they haven't seen a white man since 2010. 
Okay. And this is where that shit, where they take him across the bridge to the village. And this is for me, it starts here, but it's really the next page where shit really gets into overdrive with being offensive. Yeah. So, yeah. so they, they, they grab him. Uh, they're taking him to see the chief, and this this going to a village of nothing but black, hostile black people, uh, uh, this is definitely the Trump supporters' worst nightmare. This whole hidden civilization of, of black people who don't need uh, white people. This is this is what got Trump elected. This this uh this 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 nightmare for 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 Trump supporters. Anyway, Kill Raven is taken to the village and he is called names. He's there's they stone him and he's tied to a stake. Yes, he is. And this is it. This is where I didn't think that this could get any more racist. Then the chief pulls up in a jeep. And he's. This is where we get all the what a white writer would think of in the seventies is like jive talk. So the chief pulls up, um, and it's funny they they keep referring to him as white and them as black. And Kill Raven says white black. I don't get your meaning. And this is this is very problematic because Kill Raven's like Mashul is black skinned, Hawk is red. I'm white. So what? So this is right. the, this is the second time he's referred to Hawk as red, and maybe for some of our international listeners, um, that is a, that was a common slur for Native Americans was to refer to them as redskinned. That is that is highly offensive. Yeah, and there it is. And then talk about offensive. We see their their chief pull up who's dressed almost like a survivalist huggy bear from uh, uh, Starsky and Hutch and I to give you guys a clue of how bad this is I want to read his dialogue but I don't know if I should holy is you a babe in the woods let me clue you let me clue you yo honey child I mean oh my god it's so bad this is, and I'm, it's so bad. I'm not trying to be offensive with this, but I mean, who? I can't even believe in the 70s. Nobody batted an eye at this. I, I mean, okay. You ever watch Good Times? Yes. It, this this reminds me of JJ from Good Times. Okay. Turned up to 11. Y- yeah, this is like this is like drunken and slightly stoned JJ from Good Times, just having a really good time of this. And being really happy and gregarious. I mean, just come on. I mean, this is this is bad. Okay, seriously though, the pimp hat makes the outfit though. I I, I thought it was on this page. I think it's the or a page or two where he refer where he gets somebody to park his car and he refers to it as a caddy. I mean, that's this that's the panel beforehand. Okay. Yes. The the only way this could get worse is if like the crows from Dumbo show up. Oh fuck! <laughs> this, is, this is bad. I don't know. I mean, uh, it. I, I don't know when Kill Raven turned into a birth of a nation, but I mean, this is bad. It's bad. Let's just suffice it to say, there there is a lot of jive talking dialogue going on here. Um, we get a flashback, and this is this is story significant. Because it's not like the chief is telling Kill Raven this stuff, but he gets 
he gets flashbacks, he gets images, he gets sensations, just like when he his mind connects with a Martian. He gets those psychic flashes of what a Martian sees. And what we see here is we see, like, white officers beating, like, uh, like protesting or uh, rioting uh, uh, black, uh, um, African-Americans. We see, and I never thought I'd see this in a Kill Raven comic, we get the Ku Klux Klan uh, burning a cross and lynching an African-American. And then we see, so we see, like, there, this, what was going on, this racial tension, this racism, the systematic racism in the United States, until the Martians came. The Martians destroyed American infrastructure and destroyed, uh, quote-unquote, whitey cities. And so then, and this is ridiculous to me, so while the institutions that were oppressing them were destroyed, you see where we see we've seen this before in the issues where people have made their own enclaves and civilizations. It is ridiculous to me that you have no diversity in that group of people. It's just all the black people, no poor, you know, no Mexicans, no Puerto Ricans, no Asians, no no anything else. But it's just they all banded together and they're like, well, we don't want to live under the white person's oppression anymore. We were white man, the white man's slave. We're not going to be the black man or the Martian slave. So what are we going to do? We're going to live underground. Which sounds like a fucking fantastic plan. And it, but we see and we see later why this gets even more ridiculous. Right, so yeah, so they go, they move underground. Yippity doo da, zippity day. And we, I think that I thought that Kill Raven was piercing, uh, piecing this together uh, on page eighteen, but no, it takes him a long time to figure this out. But Kill Raven says, "You're not alone, are you? The mind vision I had back in cave before the fire. You mean the mind vision where you saw a Martian tentacle?" So, um, yeah, so that would be my pressing concern. So I thought he was piecing it together that he gets a flash that he gets only when Martians are around, and he actually saw a Martian, but he's really struggling to put the pieces together that this could only add up to one thing, that there's... Especially when we saw in that vision that they were sacrificing a baby, which we know is a delicacy to the Martians, but no, Kilraven asks why they were sacrificing the baby, uh, who they were sacrificing it to, and then instead of, because again, he hasn't figured this out for some reason, but then uh, the one of the warriors hits him. Gets him right in the face. Right. Yeah, because ain't no talking out of you, white boy. Some shit like that. Yeah, ain't none of your business, honky. There you go, honky. Honky, gotta remember, he liked, they, they liked using honky. So yeah, he gets, uh, he gets whacked about, freaking pimp daddy. Freaking gives him a little more of a talking to. Well, it, he he tells him to basically shut up, but that's not good enough for this warrior. He the, he he will not tolerate being disrespected uh, by a white man. Right, right. He's, he's not feeling that. And so this totally took me by surprise. Instead of taking the issue up with Kill Raven, he fucking stabs the chief for letting uh, Kill Raven back talk him without a consequence. Yeah, that's pretty fucking hardcore. Yeah, fucking gets him in the stomach and kills him. And Kill Raven's looking over there like, well, basically he looks like he just took a shit in his own pants. Well, because we, we see here, it's because he, he felt the death too. Like he was psychically connected to the chief, which only happens with a Martian. So that's that that definitely like that's why he looks like he's uh taking a shit because he also feels like he got stabbed in the chest there so 
Uh, if we turn to page 22, okay. we learn that not only is this a racist issue, but it's sexist, because all the women start screaming, and just the women, and this is because a giant Martian emerges from the depths of the lake. So the last... Right, and this guy's huge! Yeah, so the last uh, horse finally crosses the finish line, and I think Kill Raven finally pieces this together. Which, this all actually doesn't make sense, but we're going to put a pin in it, and I want to touch base on this uh, at the end of the issue. So... Okay, yeah, he's, this, this Martian's huge. Yeah, he is a ginormous Martian. Like I said, he's the size of a giant SUV or, like, bus. He is big. So, um, we learn that the, the individual who stabbed the chief, his name is Chandra... And we see the Martian grab a hold of the chief's body, and he's going to take it to eat it. So, Kill Raven, and I think this is uh, rightfully points out. This is the this is your isolation. This is the piece that you wanted when you guys are just serving as a food source for the Martian. Is this the is this your the freedom that you were looking for? All you've done is trade one master to another. Yeah, and. Uh... I, I think that strikes chord a little bit with uh, uh, Mr. Warrior here, but uh, he he really doesn't seem to care too much about talking it out. I guess you could say. Agreed. And he seems like he's more of a direct action kind of guy, so he starts whipping out his knife. But before he can get to kill Raven, uh, his leg gets grabbed by uh, our, our Martian friend there in the pond. And he gets drug under. Um, why this is going on, Killraven is psychically connected to the Martian, and he sees all this from the Martian's perspective, which is actually pretty cool, because we see that it looks like they have maybe thermal vision, and they can't pick out, like, say, faces uh, or whatnot very well. So that's kind of a cool detail. It's almost like predator vision. Yeah, exactly. It kind of, kind of looked like that. So uh, as it's, as as uh, the Martian is dragging uh, Mr. Warrior here down, the Warrior grabs his knife and throws it at KR, and manages to land it in such a way that Kill Raven can grab it and help release himself. Yeah, that was quite a nice shot from Chandra. Yeah. Yeah. So KR releases himself and he dives in after after Chandra yep. uh, to uh, lend a hand with uh, this big green fucking tentacled bastard. Yep, Chandra is fully underwater now, so yeah, Kill Raven has his work cut out for him, which, 27, the first panel here is absolutely baffling to me. Because the first pa the caption box we get says, and no light, star, sun, nothing pierces uh, the Ebon shadows of its depths. But, so we establish, it's like pitch dark there, because, um, there's no light that's, that the weak phosphorus light that the village is using is not penetrating, like, the inky black darkness here. But then the first thing that, that what we see in this panel is that Kill Raven sees the Martian and Chandra and is able to swim to them. You cannot have the top of the panel talk about how absolutely pitch dark it is, and then have, oh, I see them over there, I'm gonna swim right over all right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, 
they're they're duking it out with uh, Mr. Mr. Martian, and needless to say, it goes back and forth a little bit. Killer even releases Chandra. Chandra, freaking, you know, Killer even gets caught. Surprise! Chandra comes back to help. Yeah. And uh, go on. Oh, I was gonna say this is actually like really cool. When Kill Raven gets caught, the tentacle's like a boa constrictor, and it's uh, it's it's crushing him, and so it forces his mouth open. And right when he starts to suck in like the freezing cold water, that's when Chandra comes back with a spear, and uh, spears the Martian. Right, which uh, seems to uh, release Kill Raven. And if we go over to page 30 now, <laughs> Kill Raven uh, kind of jumps up and he, uh, well, just basically takes his fucking sword and shoves it right into the Martian's brain. Yeah, the Martian, uh, reacting to the pain of the spear, his tentacle lifts Kill Raven out of the water. Kill Raven's able to get some air in his lungs, and then, yeah, just does this downward thrust and, uh, Stabs the Martian, but unfortunately, he's still psychically linked with the with the Martian, so he also feels like he's dying as well, and he loses consciousness. But he wakes up uh, with a series of round, oddly shaped silhouettes looking at him. Yeah, and they they slowly materialize. They're the tribesmen here, and they look happy to see that Kill Raven's awake. And we get a "How's it hanging, bro?" And read any good books lately, it fucking really says that. It really does say that, and all I could think was, man, that is a bad 70s pickup line if I ever heard one. Yes, it is. So Killraven looks up into these smiling faces. The yeah. Yeah, the, the tribe <laughs> decides to leave the caves. Uh, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. The people are leaving, Whitey. You convinced us. What the fuck? It, it only gets worse. It's like every panel here gets a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Is the two the two sentences uh, Kill Raven spoke to Chandra before he murdered before Chandra murdered their leader convinced them to uh, to leave? I love. There's no consequences. I guess that's just how you become the leader. You you just kill and you serve the old leader's role with no questions asked. Well, that's how Kill Raven became the leader of the Freeman. Dog eat dog world out there. <laughs> it man. apparently is. Um, the so the tribe decides to leave the cave because whatever's up there has to be better than what's down here. Chandra shakes hands with Kill Raven. Kill Raven tells them if they ever meet again, he would like them to join his group because he can use a man who's good with a spear. Holy fuck! That's that can be read in so many ways. That's bad. Um. But if you think about it, down there isn't that bad anymore since they killed the Martian. Exactly. So why not stay? Exactly. Kill Raven. Yeah. Which I was gonna hit this on the at the end, but yeah, I'm gonna wait. We're two panels away. Um. So Kill Raven retraces his steps, and he figures that everyone's all out looking for him. But when he gets there, they're all asleep, and the only fact that to show that time has passed is that. Now Hawk and Grok are there, and that's the only indication that time has passed. KR looks out at the stars and figures they're laughing at him, so he goes back inside and goes to sleep. Wah, wah. Yep, end of story. Bye-bye. 
So, okay, what is this bone of contention oh. even holding on to? Well, next issue, it's Death in the Family. So now, okay, this whole issue doesn't make any fucking sense. Because if you were those, uh, these tribesmen, when you went underground, you're like, this would be a perfect place to live, but there was a giant homicidal fucking Martian eating you guys and forcing you to fucking, uh, sacrifice your infants to it, wouldn't you just either fight it or leave? Like, why was that, like, the place that you settled? You found the worst fucking monster possible. And that's where you decided to set up camp? I, I couldn't give you a solid well, answer, man. This, well, is, this is things we need to talk to the writing well, team about. I actually have a somewhat of a theory on this. Because Killraven was in psychic connection with the chief. He could see the vision the chief was sharing with him of like the systematic racism in America. And he felt it when the chief died. I'm wondering if the Martian was, like, psychically controlling the chief, you know, forcing him to make the people do the sacrifice and, like, stay with the Martian, that he was, like, that, that, that every, that, say, every chief was being systematically controlled, and that's why Kill Raven had that link with him, because he had it through the Martian. Maybe, maybe. Which begs the question, why is there a Martian just living feral underground in this fucking cave? Why is it, is it like a renegade? Like, on the cover it said, like, being sacrificed to an insane Martian. Was this some, like, like it, was this like the Apocalypse Now, like, Colonel Kurtz Martian? Who, like, he saw some shit when they took over, and it made him go insane, so he just went, like, feral and lived as a god amongst the people? I mean, when did Apocalypse Now come out? I'm wondering if this is, if this literally, and I'm being serious, if this is, like, they saw that, and they're like, what if a Martian uh, totally lived as, like, these people's god, like, just like Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, why? Why would, the, why would they do that? I have, I have no idea. I mean, just, but again, I mean, it's, we've never, we've seen the, every Martian we've seen together is, like, living with the... Um, 1979, so Apocalypse Now is still a couple of years away. So I don't know why there's, uh, they're all living together, you know, in, in these safe areas. They're living as overlords. Why is there just a feral Martian that showed no sign of intelligence, um, living feral underground in the, underwater in this cave? And, okay, I got it. I got it. Somewhere, some somewhere along the way, I know I read something about uh, the the plant cycle for Kill Raven's farming techniques. And what's to say that a a, a sapling or something didn't get mixed in, and they've got a, a fucking a tree that's you know intermingling with some California seeds and making something, or maybe maybe it was originally. Uh, a species that was from that area that could still reproduce instead of die off from not reproducing and making more trees. I have no idea where I was going with that. I just the okay. Oh, sorry. The uh, the Martian. The Martian. Somewhere I think I read something about Martians uh, fucking crashing and going rogue. Oh, we might have to go back. I might have to go back through and uh, search yeah. for that. Cause, yeah, I just. I think I read something in this issue that helped explain away why there was one, why there is a rogue fucking Martian out there uh, that, that just dead devolved a little bit. In this issue, potentially. Uh. Okay, maybe not. 
Maybe. Okay, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, this fucking Martian is like 15 or 20 stories tall. The, you're telling me, one, how did it get out of the cave to eat that bird? Okay, that was, yes. That was definitely like a what the fuck's going on here? Why are his tentacles that long? Yeah, it's it. So it just has a like. There's a hole in the bottom that's big enough for this giant Martian to slink in and out of the cave. And you're telling me that Kill Raven with and this is the thing that I said before didn't make sense. Why didn't Kill Raven pick up on his psychic rapport when the thing was like 15 feet behind him eating a bird? Maybe he was too tired. <laughs> sure. <laughs> just devil's advocating here man who knows I, I don't know because yes why didn't he pick up on that I, why why did no one else see any sort of sign that there was something amiss Yeah, I have no idea why didn't they hear the walk and choking and chewing sounds of this Martian and again right. I just don't understand unless maybe it was subtly controlling the whole tribe but we have to occasionally feed our babies to you. Let's just continue to stay here for reasons. Because this is better than living above ground with people who are... Might, just, I, I don't know. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Way out of left fucking field on this one. But, I mean, the, the kicker was, and I, I think I mentioned it when we were talking earlier, if you go all the way back to the beginning uh, of, of this issue... Yeah, right above the credits, it fucking clearly tells you that this is a far-out fill-in to give a much overworked Don, uh, Dauntless Don and Cavorton Craig a breather by, and it gives you the credits. I, I mean, it tells you this is just a fucking fill-in backup story. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone fucking out-and-out out just says, yeah, you know what we want with the fucking filler story... That basically tells me that it went with the shit story that was just kind of standing by in case somebody broke an arm or a leg or something and couldn't fucking draw out the rest of the issue. What the fuck is going on with the edit like with the editorial there? Because it's this this issue he's only come out every other month. And issue thirty one was a uh we thought was a filler issue because all it was was a recap of the whole Mr. Kill, Kill Raven goes to Washington story with just a few new uh, pages drawn in. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, yeah, why? Why? Because you had that fucking, that one, and then, uh, and, uh, let's see, after that issue, did we actually ever go back full swing, or what is it, was it another filler issue? No, we, between 31 and this issue, we had the awesome... Uh, issue where they, with the golden arches and the death of the sacrifice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a badass yeah. issue. Okay, so yeah, so we, we got we got nothing but filler, filler, and then we uh, a couple of issues with the mini arc and the, the fucking arches falling down, and then another filler issue. So it's kind of like, what the hell's going on? And uh, not to spoil next issue, but <clears throat> judging by the cover... I, I think this is going to be another issue, like, 30... Well, not, I, I said 31, 32. 32 was the issue with the, uh... The badass... No, 32 was the stupid, uh... Holodeck. 31 was the sacrifice or yeah. death. 34 looks like another one in that vein. It looks like it's a bit of a... Of a... Turning point. Alright. 
I, I, I can think of who should be dying, but I, I could be wrong. <laughs> Every racist depiction in this issue, that's what needs to be dying. Yes. Ah, oh, fuck. What the fuck, guys? What were they thinking when they wrote this shit? Uh, I mean, episode 14, I know you were talking about how glad you were to see how Marvel was trying to be a progressive forward-thinking company, but every once in a while you see him backslide. This motherfucker wasn't backpedaling. This was like a full-on, like, throwing themselves back into fucking some bullshit. This is very problematic looked at years in the future. Yeah, so, eh, it is what it is. Terrible? Ugh. Something I'd rather forget. So, if you listeners out there want to talk to us about how we spent just as much time this issue talking about Star Trek Voyager that we did talking about Kill Raven, uh, you can contact us at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, or you can DM us at uh, comicbookdungeonpodcast on instagram.com. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at BrokenLMD, like Life Model Decoy. And I got nothing else to plug. Uh, you can meet me underground in West Virginia, where I am going to live underground away from racist comics such as these. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Uh, it was a bad one. Yeah, well, I, I mean, if if you've nothing else... I uh, just say keep turning those pages, guys. I mean, you're going to have to wade through some shit sometimes to get to the good. Yeah, this is uh, Mark also reminding you guys that I think we found another reason why Marvel hasn't reprinted these recently. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Uh, I, I think that these, this is a bit problematic. I think Disney would love this shit. <laughs> I mean, don't they have, like, Song of the South and a bunch of other fucking movies that are great? Yes, that will never see the light of day again. And, I, I mean, can you imagine being, like, Marvel and, like, pitching this? Like, what, uh, what characters or what series uh, should we should we bring back in Masterworks? What about Kill Raven? Tell me about that. You've got Martians that graphically eat babies in a, a lost gra- tribe of uh, jive-talking African-Americans who, uh, who talk and dress like Huggy Bear. Exactly. Exactly. Let's, uh... Now that this issue is in the can, let's never speak of this one again. Speak of what? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, I'm assuming this back end, this end point is still going to be in the episode. So again, you guys, you listeners, you have the power. You can listen to Mark's stories, Mark Shitting's Pants, or Mark's Proctology Exam, but uh, you need to write in comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Do it or right I now. Will poop on the show into a bottle that I will send you. You have my fecal matter. Yeah, I mean, do, do this now. Don't go to work. Don't pick up your kids from daycare. Don't celebrate your anniversary. Put all that shit off. Write us now. Now! Yeah, now. Right now! Come on, motherfuckers, let's go. You people who aren't fucking writing in right now are the same assholes who didn't vote in 2016. Oh! Wow. This this comic is a blueprint of what our country is becoming. If you don't want this to happen, get off your ass and write us now. 
down, Whitey. Down on your knees and lick the dirt. 